Now, some interesting facts about Deuteronomy, a part, of course, that Moses is the, the author of it through the Holy Spirit. A couple of profound things that really stand out to me in this book that I'm just going to keep coming back to as we go through this journey. Because there's some, there's some really uh, joyful passages in this book. There's some super like, hey, you better pay attention type of passages in this book as well that really jump out at you. And as we often say from Romans, let God be true and every man a liar. And so as we read some pretty difficult passages in this journey, and you say, wow, that's like really serious. Yeah, yeah, it is. And there are things that are very serious. Life and death are serious. Violent crime is serious. Victims of violent crime is serious. You know, like the shedding of innocent blood is serious. Defilement of the soul is serious. A lot of the human experience is serious, and there's joy in it, but it's serious. And Deuteronomy as a book is fairly serious. And what's really profound to me in this book is how the New Testament applies this book. Because early on when I got saved and I was going through the Bible, and then when I first went on staff at Calvary Vista with Pastor Brian Broderson, one of the things I did is I did a very detailed study of comparing uh, how often in the New Testament, Old Testament books are quoted and referenced. And you'll find that most Old Testament books are referenced in the New Testament, but not all of them, but most of them. But they're still there for a reason. It is the Word of God, the inspired Word of God, all Scripture, as it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verse 16. But we, we call like, there's, there's principles in hermeneutics, which is the study of the Bible, that the law of repetition is very powerful in the Bible. So if there's one verse that says something, and it's the only verse that says it, it doesn't mean it doesn't matter. It does matter, especially if it's very clear. But if it's kind of like a, a fuzzy verse, a little bit fuzzy, like, wow. Because like 90% of the Bible is pretty easy to read at face value, contextually. But if something's a little fuzzy, it's only there one time, like, well, yeah, you know, like, I, I hold to that, but I, I'm not going to, you know, split with somebody over this because it's, it's, it's a little bit, we don't, have, we don't have as much around this verse as other verses. Well, when you come to Deuteronomy, it's quoted 80 times in the New Testament. Like, that is so many times. Deuteronomy is quoted 80 times in 17 different books of the New Testament. This book is the heavy hitter of the Old Testament along with the book of Isaiah. This book, it's quoted that many times in 17 different New Testament books. So as we go through this book, just bear in mind, this book is the foundation. When you talk about the apostles' doctrine in Acts chapter 2, when the apostles expounded on the Old Testament and explained it to the early church, man, they're pulling from Deuteronomy big time and explaining Jesus from this book. Now, this book has the great prophecy concerning Jesus where Moses said a prophet would arise like him and would be greater than him. And we know that they expected the Messiah to be that prophet because they even asked Jesus, are you that prophet? They asked John if he was that prophet. And he is that prophet. So there's a very deliberate, specific prophecy, one of the strongest prophecies of the Old Testament concerning the person and the work and the ministry of Jesus in this book. But what's also amazing about this book, apart from 80 quotations in the New Testament, is Jesus himself, how he quoted this book and used this book. And the context is just incredible. Because when Jesus resisted the devil in the wilderness... And where the second Adam, as he's referred to, was victorious, where the first Adam, our Adam, the head of our race, failed, with the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and the lusts of the flesh, 
Jesus was tempted with those same three things. And in all three times he said, have you not read? It is written, and he quotes Deuteronomy for all three temptations. So all three of the temptations recorded for us in those three degrees of pride of life, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, when Satan came to Jesus, and it's a very real encounter, Jesus stood on this book, and as the one who fulfills the law, he quotes the law, and he quotes Deuteronomy one, two, three times for total victory. Then in, later on in the New Testament, First John, we're told that we have that same victory over the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life through the victory of Jesus Christ. Jesus' victory as God and man walking earth was quoting scripture in temptation and quoting all three scriptures from the book of Deuteronomy. So that's this book that we're coming to tonight. And as we come to the book, we, the book really has three segments. It has this review that starts it off, the first four chapters or so. Then it has a long haul where it's expounding and expanding on the law. And then there's the back end where it talks about the future. So as it's expanding in the present tense, it's for the generation, the younger generation, it's about to go into the promised land. But then it also on the back end talks about for future generations and how the law of God will work in their lives. So we get a, a looking back, a full application for the current generation that's about to cross the plain of Moab and go in to the promised land and fight the fights that God's called them to fight. And then there's a look ahead to generations that will come after them as this would be applied. Deuteronomy means the second law in Greek, but it's not really the second law. It's the expanding or the expounding of the law. So a better understanding is the repetition of the law and is the renewal uh, to the next generation, which even gets alluded to tonight in our text. So with that background, we pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 1. These are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel on this side of the Jordan in the wilderness in the plain opposite Suf, between Paran, Tophel, Laban, Hazarath, and Dizhabad. It is 11 days' journey from Horeb by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barina. Now it came to pass in the 40th year, in the 11th month, on the first day of the month, that Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him as commandments to them. After he killed Sihon, king of Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who dwelt in Ashtaroth in Edri. On this side of the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses began to explain this law, saying, The Lord our God spoke to us in Oreb, saying, You have dwelt long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go to the mountains of the Amorites, to all the neighboring places in the plain, in the mountains, in the lowlands, in the south, on the seacoast, to the land of Canaanites and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them and their descendants after them. So as Moses begins to recount or recall the Lord's faithfulness to them in the past, he begins the journey not when they're in Egypt or when they came out of Egypt with Passover. He begins this recollection of God's faithfulness in this introduction to the law, in this explaining of the law. He just goes back to Mount Sinai, Oreb, where God gave them the law, where they made the covenant. So he kind of skips all the prelude stuff and just goes right to when they made the covenant with him 
that the Lord made with Israel, and that's where he starts. So it starts at Mount Sinai. So the next couple chapters, again, the next few nights that we get together on Tuesday, it's just recalling of God's faithfulness. So we're really getting a historical record of his faithfulness to them in their journey from Sinai to Kadesh Barina and then the wilderness wandering. That's what we're going to get tonight and next week, and then a kind of summary of it after that before we really get into the meat of the message. So in a very real sense, like I just got up and taught for seven minutes on the background of the book, what Moses is doing right here is he's giving a background historically of God's faithfulness to them for four chapters. And he's going, now, now that we got our context, let's talk about the law. That's what he's doing. It's like when you teach the Bible, you want to teach the context so people understand. And then you go, okay, now here's where we're going with this. And that's exactly what Moses is doing. So again, for the next few weeks, when we're here on Tuesday nights, we're going to be looking at a review of what we studied in Numbers and a little bit in Exodus, but we studied in Numbers and some, well, it means the second law. It's the repetition. So we do get a little bit of repetition of what we've covered in application over the last five or six months. But nonetheless, there's it's good stuff and we need repetition. As Peter said in Second Peter, it's not weary to repeat the same things to us because we need to hear them more than once. So in this first part, something that jumps out to me is that Moses, well, there's two things that it's an 11 days journey. It's 11 days journey from where they made the covenant to going to the promised land. 11 days journey, like that's, that's all right. And you figure it's like 20 or 30 miles a day, depending on how you want to measure that by how many people are moving at the speed they're moving at, but it's an 11 day journey. And then the next thing you read is it's the 11th month of the 40th year. So their rebellion took an 11-day journey and turned it into the 11th month of the 40th year. An 11-day journey, less than two weeks, became an entire generation wandering in circles for 40 years in the wilderness. That's a sobering thought and one that gets our attention and makes us think. Because there's a, a, a fast lane or a carpool lane for good decisions, clear mind, good heart, good motives that the Lord can get us from point A to point B sometimes. But because we don't get it and we don't cooperate, we don't get there when and how we're meant to get there. And the Lord, it's like it becomes a longer journey than it has to be. Now, some journeys do take longer and it's... The main thing is that we get where we're going, and if we have to learn a certain way, we might say the hard way or just a different way, that can work. But to me, it's fascinating, and it's been pointed out many times by many commentators, it's 11 days from point A to point B, if you believe and you enter in. But because of the unbelief and how it affected everybody and the next generation, it took 40 years. The second thing we see here is it says in verse 5 that he's going to explain this law. Explain this law. God wants us to understand his law. God wants us to understand his word. In the book of Joshua, at the beginning of the book, God says, you'll prosper, be bold, be strong, be courageous, do not fear, only do not depart from the words of this law. Do not depart to the left or to the right. So the law is a compass. The law is the track. The law is the guardrails. God's word is there to guide us. Or as, again, 2 Timothy 3 says, to, to instruct us to equip us, to correct us, to reprove us. God's word is the standard, and it never changes. And to the degree that we choose to align our lives to it, we're blessed. As I've said many times, it's much better to let God's law judge us where we're wrong than to sit back in our wrongness, be deceived and hardened in our hearts, and seared minds to judge God's law. And one thing I've seen in 
the last 10 years is a number of important people quoting Deuteronomy out of context, attacking and accusing God from this book. We've watched famous people like Piers Morgan, these people take Deuteronomy, take it out of context, and try and attack Christian ministers. I watched a clip of Rick Warren being grilled by um, a TV host about that Deuteronomy is archaic, that's not applicable. So if you're going to say that the gay lifestyle is sinful, you should say that eating shrimp is sinful and that kind of stuff. Or we don't just go do this or stone the rebellious teenager with rocks. And so they twist God's word and they judge, they become judge of God's word instead of God's word judging them. And we're told that a workman should not be ashamed but rightfully dividing the word of truth in a proper way. And there is a science to studying the Bible. The Bible interprets the Bible. So again, when you come to Deuteronomy, it is to be explained. And we understand that the dietary law served a purpose, we covered this in Leviticus, and that it shows us that all people are welcome to the gospel. And all those unclean things like pigs and shrimp represent people who live unclean lives and worship false gods that need to hear the gospel. But when Christ came and the gospel came, the gospel goes to these people. The vision from Jesus to Peter interprets the dietary law, replaces it, clarifies it, it served its purpose, and shows us what it meant and thus all things are, are to be eaten. And Jesus said, it's not what goes into man defiles him, but what comes out. But see, that's us just applying the scripture and knowing the scripture. These aren't even my notes. I know this in my mind, in my heart. Most of you know it too. So when Moses is explaining the law, he's explaining what's true because God doesn't change. He's light and him's no darkness at all. And when we study the law and when Moses, the lawgiver, is explaining to us God's word, God's character didn't change. And it always upsets me when people feel that God is mean and a bully in the Old Testament, but a soft shrimp and a Twinkie, you know, in the, and, and wimpy in the New Testament. God is not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God has been loving and just outside of time and creation before he even made anything. And he's loving and just outside of this dimension when the new heaven and new earth comes and replaces all that we know. He has never changed, and he's never going to change. It's impossible for God to lie, because God is light, and him is no darkness at all. And so when he has revealed things in his law and in his word, we need to listen, and we need to hear, and we need to understand, and we need to apply, whether it's in the principle or the fullest application, it's not there for no reason. And with 80 quotes in the New Testament, and Jesus quoting it, and Jesus fulfilling it, it, it does us well to, to not sit back and say, well, that, I don't like that. When Moses sits us down, and he's going to do that for the next four months, and explains to us the Ten Commandments, the religious law, and the civil law, we need to listen. With the Holy Spirit guiding us who wrote this and leading us in application for our lives. Because the reason the law has to be explained to this generation is because it has to be explained to our generation. You know, my kids grew up on the Ten Commandments. We had praise songs about the Ten Commandments, and there was a video, a VHS video they used to watch all the time that was the Ten Commandments. Truth is truth. And it doesn't change. And I, and I do commend ministers who maybe I don't agree with on a lot of things and maybe even very few things. I always appreciate it when someone who professes to know Christ says, the word says this, and I'm not going to change it. I actually saw a Joel Osteen interview where they were coming after him on his position against gay marriage. And in the Joel Osteen way, he just said, I, I don't want to judge the word of God. That's exactly what he said. 
And he goes, I, I don't want to go there. And I'm like, you know what? I say yes and amen. Because that's a smart thing you're saying right there, Joel Osteen. Because they're like, well, you, you know, these other men have changed their opinions. These other men have changed their mind. And they, they're more broad-minded and society's changing. And, and, and you know, Joel Osteen's going like, uh-uh. <laughs> you know, like, whatever he's thinking about, anything else, I don't know. But he's like, he's not going to go against the law. So props to him. Just like Rick Warren, when I saw Rick Warren's interview, the same thing. They try to cancel Jesus. And they're trying to cancel followers of Jesus who believe God's law concerning the gay sinful lifestyle being sinful, concerning the life of the unborn, all these things. We know this. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. And I don't even watch the news. I'm just telling you what I already know without knowing the news. We know that. So Moses is going to explain to us through the word things that we need to know and that our children need to know and our children's children need to know. And the children that are being raised up in this church and the children that will come after them. I am inclined to think the timing of going through Deuteronomy as a church family right now with where our planet's at right now, coming out of COVID, and now we got all the vaccines and all this stuff and these different things and the conditioning of our what we accept and what we're willing to do to keep our jobs and pay our rent and do all these things and mortgages. That when you have to decide between government or Deuteronomy, make sure you choose Deuteronomy. It'll be well with you and it will be well with me. The law is meant to be understood not just an intellectual assent, but as an intellectual understanding so we can love the Lord our God with all of our mind, our heart, our soul, and our strength. But it has to be explained. God's people perish for lack of knowledge. And that's why we teach the whole counsel of God. It says of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount that when they came to him, he sat down and began to teach them. And the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus expounding on the law. When they gathered every day in the early church in Jerusalem, it says they gathered, they broke bread, they had fellowship, and they studied the apostles' doctrine, which is the apostles explaining God's law and God's word as it applies to the church through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When Paul said, I've not ceased to declare to you the whole counsel of God, he's talking about all the counsel of God. So we just need to hold fast to this and, 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 and just not be moved and know these are the, this is the truth, this is the way it is. Everything's a test. And we're going to be tested as to whether or not we're going to obey the Lord in the truth of his word. Now, explain. So it's important that when we read the word, we're understanding what God is wanting to speak to us. Because we can read things and not retain it. We can hear things and not believe it. We want to believe it, and we want to retain it. So as we go through this, when I do that, I was thinking about this. I think we have, we have people here that teach the children our children's ministry. I think about what you do with your lessons. You prepare a lesson, and you're trying to get a three-year-old to understand the gospel at three, or a five-year-old, or a seven-year-old, or a nine-year-old, or in junior high. We're trying to get the cognitive, you know, there's third-grade math and seventh-grade math. And there's third-grade understanding the gospel and seventh-grade understanding the gospel. And, and that's what we're doing. We're trying to explain. And as Scott was leading worship here tonight, I had this, this thought about Scott leading worship. When Hannah, my daughter, was younger, before she was 30, a long time ago, there in Virginia, she would watch videos with Scott Cunningham singing with Salty the Singing Songbook, explaining the gospel of Jesus Christ on the terms of a pre-K, which Hannah was at that time. 
Isn't that awesome? This man leading us in worship, when he was a kid, he did videos with John Randall. And my kids watched those videos and were discipled in the faith at a very early age by what Scott Cunningham was doing 30 plus years ago. That's really cool. Salty, the singing book, Salty, the singing songbook, used to explain the gospel to little kids, like Colby the computer explained, like the donut man explained, like Bob and Larry explained the tomato, right? Yeah, you know, Larry the cucumber, Bob, the, like that's what they do. So Moses is explaining to us as we go on this journey, God's law as it applies to us now as the church. And we explain, I explain to you, you explain to your children, you explain to your children's children. I mean, we're there with our grandkids in Colorado, and there's all these books on creation. God's got a plan for you. Jesus died for you. You know, the kid level. And there's Luke reading them to Clementine at two, and who has a very serious face because Luke is serious and Clem's serious, like two serious people doing a devotion together, you know, a generation apart. And that's what we do. So it's important, like, when we come, that we want to hear the law explained, the word explained, and also when you open your Bibles at home, that you let God explain it to you. We can't just, be, like James warned us about being a hearer, not a doer, like we just hear it and we walk out and we forget the person we saw in the mirror. Very important. Moses isn't going to give the sermon of a lifetime in the last month of his life for no reason. He's given it with a purpose, and he's explaining things in the most basic sense of absolute truth, absolute purpose, absolute application to the benefit of the next generation and all subsequent generations of which we are. Now we read on verse 9. And I spoke to you at that time, saying, I alone am not able to bear you. The Lord your God has multiplied you, verse 9. And here you are today, verse 10, as the stars of heaven are in multitude. God kept his word. May the Lord God of our fathers make you a thousand times more numerous than they are and bless you as he promised you. How can I alone bear your problems and your burdens and your complaints? So he's reflecting back to when all this happened back at Mount Sinai. Choose wise, understanding, and knowledgeable men from among your tribes, and I will make them heads over you. And you answered me and said, the thing which you have told us to do is good. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and knowledgeable men, and made them heads over you, leaders of thousands, leaders of hundreds, leaders of fifties, leaders of ten, and officers for your tribes. Then I commanded... Your judges at that time saying, hear the cases between your brethren and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the stranger who is with him. You shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid in any man's presence for the judgment is God's. The case that is too hard for you bring to me and I will hear it. And I commanded you at that time all things which you should do. So the case is too hard, bring it to me. Otherwise, delegate it. We studied this back in Exodus we talked about the importance of delegating and raising up. It's just so important to delegate, to equip, and to raise up. That's the, that's the cycle. That's the process that God has for the human experience. For parents training up their children, and then children training up the grandchildren, their children. For pastors, we call it in the church apostolic succession, where the early apostles, they raised up people like Timothy's and Titus's. And then they passed on, and guys like Polycarp and these others, they received the baton, they raised up, and it's what we do. So we, we have to give people a chance. And of course, we know in management, the world would say, hey, you got to quit people, you got to delegate, because you can only do so much as one person. But how much more so in the church? Because as we're making disciples, we're letting people have opportunities to grow and learn and find their way. When I go away, I just love to have the guys from within teach. You know, Jeremy Foster taught over 50 Bible studies when he was here 
as the associate pastor. Raul Diaz taught all kinds of Bible studies. Jason Wright taught Bible studies here. Brian Jameson taught Bible studies here. You know, we, we, we have new people come out doing worship all the time. We have new people teaching in children's ministry and stuff like that. We, 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 we want to equip people. We want to let you do it. We don't, we don't want to micromanage. So I don't call, I don't tell Sam like, hey, whatever you do, don't teach from Deuteronomy. <laughs> like if he, if he had told me, I feel led to teach Deuteronomy 1, I'd be like, awesome. They're going to get a double header. And I want to hear what God's going to show you to share with the congregation and what he's going to show me to share with the congregation. That's going to be awesome. When Brian Jameson was here, people just come to be like, man, you, got, you better be careful you don't go too often because he's, he's a great teacher. They're basically saying he's a better teacher than you. And I said, well, well that's quite a compliment, and, and that's the ultimate compliment. Because if I can replace me, then I can move on to something else God has for me, and you left with something better than what I left behind, than what I would have left behind if I was here. See, the mark of good leadership is that you've raised up people who are better equipped than you are to do what you're doing, and that you're securing your calling, and you're securing who you are. Who wants an insecure worship leader? Can you imagine if Scott had been an insecure worship leader for the last 20 years of Calvary Goes to Mesa? That would have been a train wreck. Well, how about Bobby Brown and all that he did with all those kids leading worship at Calvary School for the last 20 years? What if he was motivated by insecurity? What a disaster. Hey, I write the songs around here. I pick the song set. I decide how the mix sounds. Like, really? Scott, how many sound guys you seen come and go? A lot. There are many, right? And how many worship leaders you seen come and go in 20 years at Calvary? Yeah, a, f- a few, yeah. And, uh, and they go out. You, you got to let Landon Bailey lead the worship so he can be leading worship in Fort Wayne now for another church. You got to let him come here and do stuff so he can figure it out and then go bless a big church in the Midwest. We got to have Jack McCune here when he's 16 so he can go do other things. We got to have Phil Wickham when he was 16 20 years ago so he can go be like win Grammy Awards or something. Like that's what you got to do. You got you got to raise up and you got to delegate. And that's what Moses said, I can't do it all. I can't do it all. I can't be the dad, the husband, the grandfather, the disciple, and the pastor and all these things all at one time. And I've got to discern things just like you're discerning things in your life. So what we do is we seek the Lord and we equip people around us in your businesses. You raise up people and you disciple them in plumbing. You disciple them in carpentry. You disciple them in, in stocks and bonds. And you disciple them in real estate. And you, that's what you do. When I was a coach, I tried to make all the coaches better than me. And it seemed they all were. And I look at the U.S. program now and all their coaches are like, they're such better coaches. When I hear them talk, I'm like, oh, I never thought of that. You know, like. That's, that's what you do. That's, that's what we want to be. We, we, don't, we don't want to be insecure. We want to know that we're leaving this planet. When we leave it, we want to leave it better. And we want to equip people of the next generation. We want to equip people around us to be champions and, and to be really good at what they do. And we need to be secure in our calling, and we need to encourage people in their calling. Moses didn't make it about him. It's, plus, it's more than you can do anyways. It's more than you can do. So, there's a good application there. Just again, looking back at Moses, he's like, I can't do this. His father-in-law, Jethro, said, you're not going to make it, and we're not. So we, we, we equip, we delegate, we spread out, and you know, people make mistakes, and that's part of the journey. Chuck trusted me. You know, in 1987, Pastor Chuck had met me like once, and he had Brian have me come up and share the movie on a Wednesday night at Calvary Costa Mesa, and I was so nervous, you can't even imagine, and I was just glad to be saved. I didn't expect to be preaching at Calvary Costa Mesa in the 80s, but I'll never forget it because they showed this Pipe Masters clip and all this stuff, and then 
and Pastor Chuck gets up and all, and here's Joey. And he just sat down. I was like, I, I was so terrified. He turned the entire church over to me. But if he hadn't done that with Mike McIntosh and Raul Reese and Steve Mays and all these other guys, where would we be tonight? Yeah. So we have to encourage the next generation. We got to let them do their thing. We got to let them find themselves. We got to let them find their traction. We got to let them find their gifts and use their gifts for the body of Christ. I love how Brian Broderson is surrounded by a lot of young people. That's a good thing. Because all the old people who critique Brian Broderson, they're going to be off the planet in 10 years. So it doesn't matter what they think. The young people that he's got around him, they're going to be leading the planet, the church, for the next 50 years. So think about that one. I was reading about the Lord of the Admiral, the Lord of the British Navy in the turn of the century in the 1900s when they're going from frigates to iron cast ships and the dreadnoughts and all that, if you know your history. And the old guard Navy admirals hated him because he liked, he had all these innovative ideas like let's build these battleships with all 12-inch guns, heavier plated, faster ships. And the old guy's like, well, no, we've got to have 6-inch and, you know, 8-inch and 12. And, and, and as he did all these things, he determined that as he built equity with the next generation, that he was equipping the admirals who would fight the future. You know who those admirals fought? Those admirals fought World War I and World War II. And he equipped them. And the guys that fought them were the guys that fought with wooden ships against the pirates off the Barbary Coast. God doesn't change. So we're not talking about changing his word or anything. What I'm talking about is that in the body of Christ, we need to have a vision for the next generation and the children's children's generation and, and not be so uh, caught up in how we did things as baby boomers growing up watching the Brady Bunch and Sanford and Son. We have to realize that this is a whole other world and we need to equip this next generation to shine in theirs for their timeline and the next timeline. We have to delegate. We have to trust. We have to equip the next generation of the church and entrust the church to them because we're leaving. You've got to delegate. Delegate young people Millennials and Generation Z that can judge righteously and make good decisions and equip them for it. That's what we need to do. Verse 19. So we departed from Horeb and went through all that great and terrible wilderness which you saw on the way to the mountains of the Amorites as the Lord our God commanded us. Then we came to Kadesh Barina and, and I said to you, you've come to the mountain of the Amorites which the Lord our God has given us. Look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it as the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you. Do not fear or be discouraged. And every one of you came near to me and said, let us send men before us and let them search out the land for us and bring back word to us the way by which we should go up and of the cities in which we shall come. And the plan pleased me well. So I took the 12 of your men, one man from each tribe, and they departed and went up into the mountains and came to the valley of Eshcol and spied it out. And they also took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us. And they brought back word to us saying, it's a good land which the Lord our God has given us. Nevertheless, you would not go up, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God, and you complained in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us, he has brought us out of the land of the Egypt to deliver us to the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are greater and fortified up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakin, the giant, and they're there. Then I said to you, do not be afraid, do not be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all that he did for you in the wilderness before your eyes in the Excuse me. 
according to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son in all the way you went until you came to this place. Yet for all that, you did not believe the Lord your God who went in the way before you to search out a place for you to pitch your tents to show you the way you should go in the fire by night and in the cloud by day. So now he's reminding them what happened when they got to Kadesh Barino. And what a key moment. What an incredible 40 days. And we study this in numbers, but we just got to reflect again. Like, it's not so much when you have a key moment where you make a really bad decision. I don't think of it that way. Because there's key moments where, like, you know, you haven't drank alcohol for 20 years and you decide to drink again. And you go out and you get stone drunk, you get a DUI or something. You know, you're like, those are really bad decisions, like key moments where you make bad decisions. We understand that. But in the context here, this was like they just would not go forward in faith. In fact, we're told you would not believe. Verse 32, yet for all that you did not believe. So this was really the defining moment of this entire older generation was the moment, one long night, when the report came back, it's all exactly like we heard. The land is a great land. It's awesome. And they got Joshua and Caleb saying, you must enter in. And yet, in this key moment, they just, they chose not to believe. And because they chose not to believe, listen, this is the most important thing. They did not take, they did not take the next step forward in faith. What a powerful lesson for us to learn. There's moments still to be lived in all of our lives where we have to take a step of faith. It's the next thing is a step of faith, and it might be a big one. You know, my sister called me from Florida today. Barbie's there. She made it. Almost four years of sobriety, two years, two and a half years in halfway houses, the smaller one, the bigger one, from last girl in to the one kind of running the dorm, if you will, to two years of DUI school, getting her license restored, clearing all of her debt, making restitution on everything, all of her criminal charges, misdemeanors and felonies expunged. And then she moved to Florida, Vero Beach. You know, we were back there a month and a half ago and got the house, put in the offer. They accepted the offer. My sister was sleeping behind a trash can five years ago at the dollar store in Vista, where the dumpster is. That's where my sister set up a, a living space. I've seen it. And now she has this beautiful home in Vero Beach, Florida, by the grace of God. But she called me today because she's really, she's nervous. She took the next step of faith. The next step of faith was letting go of everything she knew in California, loading up the car, packing up the pod, everything, transferring jobs with Macy's, being willing to move 3,000 miles to start a whole new life all over in your mid-50s, not making it about men, but making it about the Lord and doing what's next because that's what needed to happen in her life. And Barbie was there, uh, my, Hannah was there, my daughter, to help her. And Hannah's been amazing. Nate and Hannah have been great for Barbie. The car broke down in Mobile, Alabama. It died on the journey. They had to rent a car. Car broke down on Wednesday in Mobile, and she's closing on Friday in Vero Beach. She had to transfer funds in Pensacola from the Navy Federal on the Thursday. My sister just got so much done. It was amazing. But today... She had to get a new car. Hannah and Jennifer helped her get the car today. Jennifer's the queen of buying cars. She's on the phone. She's the consultant. Hannah's there. They're doing this whole thing. 
Barbie had to get the water on, the electricity. The, the boxer needs a fence, so they got to get the fence built. She had to get the, the car. She had to get car insurance. And, you know, there's only so much money that you know, before it all, even, you know, in a trust, it eventually goes to money heaven, you know, goes bye-bye. And, uh, and she just called me today, and she just said, I'm just, I'm so afraid. I'm just scared. See, she had all the faith she needed to get to Vero and to do it all. And now she's in that house with no furniture, thinking about the first day of work next week in Melbourne Beach at Macy's. Can you relate to that? I can. You know, the hardest thing about being a missionary isn't going. It's when you wake up and realize where you are. Burlington, Vermont. Well, we had all the faith in the world to move to Burlington, Vermont, started Calvary Chapel. It's when I woke up in Burlington, Vermont, snowing on Easter weekend, and doing a service in an Econo Lodge with three people, I thought, oh, <laughs> my. <laughs> wow. See, they, they got to Kadesh Barina. They had the law. They had everything they needed. They had the promises. And they were right there. And they said, let's send 12 guys. And I was like, yes, let's send 12 guys. And they sent the 12 guys. And they came back. And it's like, well, and it's like, and, and they were there. They've left Egypt already. They're in Vero Beach. They've left, but they've got to go to the next thing. They've got to go to the first day at work. They've got to go to church, a new church, and meet new people and start all over again. They have to find their traction. And the older you get, we all know this, the harder it is. You get older, you need less space, and you move very well in it. Until you're in assisted living, bed, bathroom, window, food court. Bed, bathroom, window, food court. So at 55, what a challenge for my sister. And I told her, and you know, I, I was like, Barbie, it's all good. You were a bright, shining light at Macy's in San Diego, and they loved you. And they cried, and you cried when you left. You're an inspiring story. You were selling shoes, now you're going to sell furniture. You're going to add equity to who you are in this journey. And you're going to get on the 95 on Monday morning, and you're going to head right up to 95 to that exit in Melbourne Beach. And you show up at work. And you're going to walk in there with Jesus, and it's the next thing that God has for you. It's the next step of faith. It'll be okay. When she was pushing that grocery cart, I reminded her of this four years ago. She, had, she told me that she lived on the streets because it was easier to live on the streets and less was expected of her. She goes, it's so hard to try and function in society. I go, I think it's harder to sleep in a, behind a dumpster. That's what I told her. It was Mother's Day. She goes, no, it's hard to function in society. And she called me today and said, I'm, I think it's hard. You just got to go for it with the next step. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right, Barbie. Plus, you got Hannah and Nate down the street. How bad are they going to let it get? See, they, they were right there. They had left Egypt. They had received the law. They, they had communion. They, they made the covenant. But then they just overthought it. They double-clutched. And, and they just, they needed to not overthink the shot. Just take the shot. I just said it's about pipeline. The longer you look at pipeline, the less likely you'll paddle out. So you got to show up, know the tide, know the wind, know your board. When I used to take kids over, like, hey, we got to go now. Coach is going out. Like, like, you can talk yourself out of stuff. They talked themselves out of it. We can't do that. We need to enter in. And we need to take whatever great steps of faith God is calling us to do in our next season of life. 
whether tonight we're here young or older. We need to take the next steps of faith because they came short. And that's what Moses is reminding of them, reminding them of. Yet for all this, you did not believe. We, we got to get like, we got to be like Barbie. We got we to get up on Monday with that new car, with a whole new story, whole new, you know, car insurance policy, whole new church, whole new life, whole new house, and just get going on the 95 North, and that's your exit in Melbourne, and for sure be early, not late. Right? It's the way it works, it's what we tell our kids, it's what we tell our adult sisters. Verse 34, we wrap it up here. And the Lord heard the sound of your words and was angry and took an oath, saying, Surely no one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land which I swore to give your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephna, he shall see it. And to him and his children I'm giving the land on which you walked, because he wholly followed the Lord. The Lord was also angry with me for your sake, saying, Even you shall not go in there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall go in there. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. Moreover, your little ones and your children who you say will be victims who today have no knowledge of good and evil, they shall go in there and to them I will give it and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn and take your journey to the wilderness by way of the Red Sea. And then you answered and said to me, we have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight just as the Lord our God commanded us. And when every one of you had girded up his weapons of war, you were ready to go up into the mountains. And the Lord said to me, tell them, do not go up nor fight, for I am not among you, lest you be defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you, yet you would not listen, but rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went up into the mountain. And the Amorites who dwelt in that mountain came out against you and chased you as bees do, and they drove you back from Seir to Hormah. Then you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord would not listen to your voice nor give ear to you. So you remain in Kadesh many days according to the days that you spent there. And this is that recounting of what happened. And a final thought on this. Well, there's actually two. Briefly, Caleb, yet again, is such a hero. And as you go forward in the book of Joshua, Caleb is just amazing. The more I, I think about Caleb, Josh and uh, Scott Cunningham and I have talked about Caleb quite a bit in the past. He is one of the most amazing people in the Bible. Out of all this generation, it says he wholly followed the Lord, and that blessing was passed on to his children. And that's a blessing God wants to give us. The more that we're right with the Lord, the more we're the covering for our children and our children's children. I believe that. There's a, a principle there. And Caleb did a fantastic job. We can't change our mistakes from yesterday or how they affect our children, how it might be with our adult children or younger kids right now, but we can always go forward from right here today. That's what we can do. We, we can go forward from today because we can't change anything of the past because some of you maybe have broken relationships or not the strongest relationships you'd like with children or extended relatives from past mistakes, but we cannot change what created that standing of the past, but we can we can wholly follow the Lord and do everything we can to make things right for the back end. It's always too soon to quit. Like, we can do the right thing. We can do the right thing. And that's what we want to do. And uh, it said there in one of the last verses that they acted presumptuously. That word really scares me, particularly in 2021. Because I feel like people have acted presumptuously at times, and I don't want to act presumptuously. We, we somehow feel because we have an opinion that that's going to be God's opinion, and it's much better just to get under God's word and stay under his word and stay under the, the cloud and stay under the fire. Because if you look, look back to things that have happened in the last year, there's been a lot of people acting presumptuously. People destroying stuff and threatening people because they think that they're right on both sides of the political spectrum. The best thing we can do is be like Joshua and Caleb. 
the things we reveal belong to us and to our children, and the secret thing belongs to the Lord. And there are things that are bigger than us that we can't explain and I don't understand, and you don't understand them either. But I'm not going to get presumptuous on anything other than living by faith and obeying the Lord, praying for people that affect my life. We're called to pray for those in leadership. I'm going to pray for them, and I do. And I'm just going to pray for God's will. Those are, how can you ever go wrong with that? God says pray for leaders and pray for God's will. Like, isn't that what, that's what we're moving toward with Christ coming to reign. God's will and a leader. That's what we're headed toward with the reign of Christ. But until then, we want to pray for that stuff. And I'm not moved by scary people doing scary things, nor should you be moved. You know, when Nebuchadnezzar came upon Jerusalem and threatened it and all that stuff, God told the people of faith, hey, just trust me, look to me, and do what I tell you to do. And those that did that were blessed, and those that didn't were not. Those who trusted in the Lord on a dark day were blessed, and those who didn't were not. Now, I'm not saying our world is a Nebuchadnezzar, Jerusalem siege world right now, but I'm saying I see principles and when I read this text, they presumptuously, they presumed God was with them to go fight these people. And it did not have a good outcome. And we've seen people presume stuff in this country that God was with them, and it did not have a good outcome. The secret things belong to the Lord. The things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. So we just need to obey his word, and we need to glorify Christ and serve others. And for you older people, finish strong. Christ is going to come and reign, make everything straight. In the meantime, like I taught on that Tuesday night a week, a week ago, we're, we're his witnesses. And I want to be that witness that my kingdom is the kingdom of Jesus Christ, and my home is in heaven, and I'm not moved by what people do on earth. We can't be. So we want to wholly follow the Lord. And let that blessing be, that's what we pass on to our children, not acting presumptuously.